Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And today we have our first guest of 2021, Erin Elise of the Hollow Valley. Hello. It's so great to be with you guys. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to get to chat with you a little more. Um, So Erin and I, you know, air quotes, met on Instagram. Uh, I don't remember how I originally found you, but I stock your Hollow Valley deck of symbols in my shop and you're in the process of creating a new sigil deck that I'm super excited about. So I'm very excited to chat with you and get to share with our listeners. Um, So first question is, where are you located? Where are you dialing in from? Uh, I am dialing in from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, born and raised here. pretty great city. Uh, like the art scene here, it's uh, definitely a strange place to be during COVID. So uh, pretty, pretty scary numbers and some, some fairly irresponsible people, you know, governing the state. So uh, it's a little stressful at the time, but overall it's, you know, a nice place to be. So uh, things are a little hairy in Salem right now. They actually have closed down um, city hall and you can only get in by appointment and wow. like they make you sign a disc, like a you know disclaimer thing before you go in. So it's kind of terrible everywhere. It is kind of terrible everywhere. I, I almost wish that uh, there were more places where it was harder to get in because there seems to be a lot of places where it's maybe a little too easy for a lot of people to go there right now. That's a really good point. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, our first question for you, which is what we like to ask all our guests, is do you identify as a witch and what does being a witch mean to you? Um, well, yes, I do identify as a witch. Uh, being a witch for me is um, essentially my form of spirituality, which is based in um, nature and Uh, how humans and nature can kind of relate to uh, foster growth in one another. And I find um, witchery and just the general path of paganism to be the most fitting with how I relate to the world and uh, how I make myself feel better. Um, So it, it's, I've, I've, I've really been a witch since I was little. Um, My mom, since I've, uh, you know, quote unquote, come out as a witch to my mother, uh, she's said that she uh, really can see how I've been casting spells since I was a kid. So I think it was really just um, a reawakening into what I really have always been um, that kind of came. And yeah, ever since it's been the identity and it's a big part of who I am and a big part of my career. So. And I have to say, I just also noticed that you have the yarn pyramid on the wall behind you. I highly approve. (laughs) I I, I mean, I think you spoke earlier, you didn't know how we met. I think we found each other through the love of yarn and witchery coinciding, which I think is really lovely. I'm a knitter, but not nearly as great as you are, but I'm a casual knitter. Yeah, we've collaborated on some of my fiber witch boxes, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, we still have some projects to work on, which we don't have to reveal right now. Secret stuff. Um, so you, you define, you know, witchcraft as kind of being your, you know, your spiritual practice. And this is always a fun question because, you know, Becca and I, you know, feel kind of opposite about it. Do you consider witchcraft your religion? Um, no, I wouldn't. And it's so funny. I was just reading a definition of, um, just like a rote definition of paganism that said something about, uh, spirituality, but not religion. And I don't necessarily think that that's, 
inherently true. I'm interested, which one of you believes that what's, what's the difference in opinions? So I, my religion is Hellenic paganism and I practice witchcraft as interrelated to that, but they are not the same. Gotcha. Right. And I consider witchcraft to be my religious practice. And I say that always realizing that calling witchcraft my religion is something that's a little jarring to hear. But for me, part of my path has been, you know, reclaiming that word and showing people that religion doesn't have to mean, you know, dogma and restriction and oppression and all these things. And, you know, it is how I communicate and relate to and worship the divine. And so, you know, I, I do classify it as my religion, but I, you know, the, the more we sort of speak to people, I realize that I am not in the majority as far as, you know, people who use the term witch to describe themselves. Well, I think that's really beautiful and interesting because when I, I went to a fairly, um, Christian college and I've never really identified that way. And when people would ask me if I was religious, I would say, no, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Um, which was my way of not saying I was a witch, but saying that I was a witch. And I wonder if maybe it's really just the, the dogma around the word religion itself that keeps me from wanting to use it in this context, because I mean, religion and faith, all of them are just things that we as humans use to like find connection and feel more embodied and feel um, like there's purpose and meaning in the world and that there's some divine guidance and they're not totally alone. And no matter what you call it, it's kind of all the same thing. I guess I see religion as more of an organized thing. And I don't really know if I would say I practice any particular like organized witchcraft. I am studying under um, Ren Zatopek who, uh, teaches traditional witchcraft. So I'm kind of diving into that realm a little bit, but Mm -hmm. that would probably be the most like religion-y like witchcraft I do. I think that there's a lot of um, hangups, especially, you know, people from the U.S. or from Europe um, who are, you know, interested in paganism to call it a religion, to like to embrace the term religion because so much of it is wrapped up in Christianity. And there's this idea that Christianity is the form of religion and any other religion is that but different. Right. But it can be just like, no, completely different. Like it doesn't, Christianity is a religion. It is not the blueprint for religion. And I think that that is, it's, it's really hard to kind of unlearn that lesson. Right. Yeah. And that's why I'm sort of so insistent on that because I'm like, no, I'm not going to let anybody take a word that's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be something that's, you know, beautiful and full of faith and connection to the divine. And as humans, we've managed to ruin it so thoroughly that, you know, in the same way that, you know, reclaiming the word witch has been a whole journey. And, you know, religion is another one that I, I hope that we can get to a place as humans where it stops being this horrible, toxic thing. But, you know, every time, you know, every time that I say it, it's it's still a challenge, right? It's, it's a very charged thing. It's a very charged thing, but I, I feel very um, moved and I love your perspective on it. I think that's really interesting. I love the idea of reclaiming it. I guess I've never really thought of it as something that needed to be reclaimed, but hearing you speak about it, definitely it feels um, 
like a powerful identifier of something that's you know yeah like faith right and faith doesn't have to be even the word faith right can be a little bit terrifying and charged because there's all these implications that go along with it but you know realistically when we are you know doing our rituals and communicating uh you know with spirit in the ways that we do you know we are doing those same things it's just that the words surrounding it have become so awful yeah yeah i mean it is when you are you know activating a sigil or doing a spell you're that's faith in the universe, hearing it and responding. So, well, and since you mentioned sigils, that actually, uh, you know, kind of segues nicely into talking about your work. And before we get to, uh, you know, the decks and all that stuff, I'm curious how you first found your way into sigil crafting as, you know, kind of your your medium. Um, so, <clears throat> the symbol deck actually came before the sigil crafting, um, but oh. sig- sigil crafting came to me I've been an illustrator my entire life I've been an artist my entire life I knew from a very young age that I wanted to go into some form of art and I have always had a difficult time um learning and internalizing words without visuals and so for me what sigil making became was a way to internalize and visualize my intentions that was more um that just vibed better with my brain Um, once I started making them, I just kind of couldn't stop. It came to me very naturally. I think, uh, part of that is just my brain is full of art and symbolism and visuals all the time. So, um, for me, it's easier to almost see an intention as a physical object or as a symbol than words themselves. So it just kind of became how I processed my, um, my intentions and, um, a big part of how I do my rituals and, uh, what I incorporate into my spell work. So. And what, when you create your sigils, um, is it, is there a technique that you use? Is there like a formula or they like completely just like scribed, like channeled or what, how do you fall into that? Um, so I do use the spare method, like the very typical um, cross out uh, repetitive uh, consonants and vowels and just start with that. But I definitely encourage and I teach a class um, occasionally on sigil craft as well. I encourage a lot of um, just general like play with sigil craft in that it is it needs to kind of be a mix of you know, the methods that are given to us that feel kind of like stuffy and scientific and like calculated, and then your own intuition and the scrying and just kind of like letting it come to you. Um, I have a lot of background in symbolism. So symbols tend to kind of appear in my sigils, whether I intentionally do it or not, um, which I would say would fall more under that intuitive um, aspect for sure. Yeah, I took your class in what, December? It was great. Yeah. So I definitely recommend that people go take your class. Do you have I, a class running right now that people should know about? Um, I will be teaching Sigil Craft again in February. So I'm not exactly sure which week yet, but I will uh, probably be announcing the date in the next week or two. Okay. Yeah, we'll be sure to add your website and all the information to the show notes so people can find you. Um, so you said that your deck of symbols came first, which I really did not expect. So how did you, I guess, end up deciding to make a deck? Uh, yeah. So 
actually in college, hilariously, as I was going to, as I said, a very Christian school, my senior thesis as an illustration major was to illustrate a tarot deck. Um, so I have actually illustrated a tarot deck, very little known fact. It, there's one copy in existence because it was hand printed, handmade, everything. Um, the box was handmade from top to bottom. So it's uh, non-reproducible and I probably will never show it to anyone because it's very early work. So it's very, you know, I want to see it so badly. My, it's very like close to my heart and I don't even know. It's so funny. It's just kind of like tucked in the back of my drawer somewhere. Um, but I, the, around the time, where do I start? Around the time that I got into symbolism and witchcraft very deeply, I was going through a lot of anxiety and depression and just general mental health issues in my life. And I found tarot to be an extremely helpful entry point into like managing my mind, um, going from, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with myself today to, okay, I kind of have a direction and I can start somewhere. So I got really into tarot and about the time I bought my first tarot deck, I also bought a uh, symbolism dictionary and just fell in love. Um, just got really, really into symbolism. I think part of it is that I'd studied art for so long and was really into art history. So there was just a lot of like, it, it was a way that it felt like my witchery and my art were kind of merging in a really beautiful way through symbolism. So I just got very into symbolism and I wanted to do another tarot deck, but it felt really intimidating and kind of overwhelming after I had just finished one for my senior uh, thesis. So I decided I was going to start with a sigil or a symbol oracle. So How was it received when you decided to do a tarot deck for your project in a very uh, Christian college setting? You know, honestly, it was received pretty, it was fine. Um, it was a pretty right. small art department. The professors were chill. No one, you know, like yelled at me or told me I was blasphemous or anything. It was, it was a, it was totally fine in that uh, I did great. <laughs> I got a good grade, I think. So <laughs> I definitely graduated. <laughs> you know, except in your nightmares when you have that dream of like, I never took that one class. <laughs> I literally had that dream last night and oh, no. every other night of my life. My mom, when I was growing up, she would tell me, she's like, I always have this dream where I'm in college and then I totally forget to go to a class. And she was like, someday you're going to have that dream. And sure enough, I have that dream. I had a dream last night that I slept in this morning and I slept through my nine o'clock meeting that I was supposed to have. So, um, you know, I mean, that's more contemporary, but, um, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, art school, I also went to art school and almost all of our classes were actually graded pass fail. Mm. Um, so not art, so art history, you're given regular letter grades and, you know, like your science course and stuff like that, but the fine arts courses, and I think actually illustration and graphic design were also given letter grades because there was more of like, you know, this is a client brief that you need to meet. But, you know, I was a film major and like, how are they going to give you like a C or an A for your weird experimental film? Like, did you do something? You passed. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got a uh, B. Some people still failed. 
<laughs> I got a B minus in painting too. And I'm still kind of bitter about it, to be honest. I'm like, how can you grade painting? No, I, I, mass art didn't try. Mass art was just like, you painted something very nice. <laughs> See, that's funny because I had some grades that weren't A's that were like, you know, B plus or whatever in my art classes in college. And I'm still mad about it too, but... <laughs> Well, again, I went to an art college. I did not go to a university with an art department. So that's a different vibe. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I went to a liberal arts school and I wanted to be an art major, but then I thought that I should be responsible and I went and got an architecture degree. And then like, obviously I don't do any of that. So, you know, <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you got, you know, your first deck and the uh, book of symbols. And so I'm curious, have you heard of Barbara Walker's Dictionary of Symbols? I assume yes. Yes, I have. Um, the the book that I got was the, actually the Tashin book of symbols. I'm not familiar with that one. I just mentioned Barbara Walker because I don't know if you know this, but Barbara Walker who did, you know, the tarot deck and did the Dictionary of Symbols was also the same Barbara Walker who like revolutionized knitting patterns. I did not know that. So, you know, she's like my hero. <laughs> I freaking love that. That is very cool. This is the book of symbols I was talking about. It's like a, Ooh, one of those. Oh. That's like yeah. a book of symbols. <laughs> and it's hilarious. It's so tattered. I've read through it like three times. Like this is where my love began. It's so beautifully written. There's like, each one has an essay. It's an encyclopedia, but it's essays about symbols. So it's just, it's a great read. I recommend it. Nice. And wow, what, yeah, what's I, the name of it? Um, it's the Book of Symbols, Reflections on Archetypal Images. And it is uh, just one of the Tastion, that like publisher that does all the big art books and has all the different mm. like, Anyway. Quite lovely. So for cool. since no one is going to be seeing this on video, this book is like two and a half inches thick that she's showing us. So that's, that's like, yeah, that's way more than two and a half inches. Yeah, that's a big book. My bad. This is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, honestly, we do that too. It's like, wait, people can't see what we're doing. Um, so, you know, so you're currently working on a tarot deck. And yes. so what, what year did you publish the deck of symbols? Uh, so the Deck of Symbols was published in 2018. Okay. And then my Sigil Oracle came out in 2020. Mm -hmm. And the Tarot Deck will be coming out this year in May or June. You've been so, busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm interested in the creation process of just like creating a deck when you know, obviously in college you hand printed and like hand built this thing by yourself, but to mass produce something, and I know that's a question lots of people have, um, you know, how do you, how do you go about doing something like that? That seems just like a massive undertaking. It is stressful and difficult to do when you are publishing independently. Um, I will say it is not a particularly lucrative process <laughs> to self-publish tarot decks because they are uh, pretty expensive to print. Um, but that process for me was just honestly a lot of research, ordering a lot of samples. Um, I found a deck maker that I like and that has been consistent and I've just stuck with them the whole time and same with the books. Um, 
I've been interested. I'd actually started working on designing a tarot deck and then, you know, like 2019 and 2020 happened. So it got kind of sidelined. But the thing that I found very difficult is that, you know, even trying to do research, people are sort of very hush hush about the process and very secretive about it. And so, um, you know, I think I've found like two printers that, that do tarot decks, but that took me like over a year to just figure out where people were getting printed. And I don't know why everyone is so secretive about this, especially now because people love indie decks and they collect indie decks. So why are we being so, you know, strange in sharing that information? I completely agree. I'm a big proponent of sharing my process with as many people as ask, because I think that I mean, a lot of that comes from a place, I think we all feel a little bit of that, like, uh uh-oh, if there's too many, then no one will like mine as much. Uh, But at the same time, I just, I don't know, like, I could buy a tarot deck every day if I had the money. (laughs) There's so many beautiful indie decks out there, so I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be sharing our resources and... (laughs) trying to get more of them out there into the world. What happened? For, like, did you start drawing first and then find a printer? Did you find a printer first? Because the whole process just, yeah, like, like Becca said, just feels so enormous. It's, yeah. And, you know, once I did the first deck, it was definitely easier the second time because I already had a supplier and I kind of knew what they offered. Um, but for me, it was definitely kind of a, like, at the same time, cohesive process the drawing, um, I, I wanted to get, I did like little, um, I did drawings and printed them out at size, like on my printer so that I could kind of see and make sure that the details would show up well. Um, I think that's an issue people have, especially drawing digitally, where you don't really know when you size it down to a tarot card size, if it's going to like translate and look good, or if the details are going to be too small. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, you know, some printers don't print that well and you lose detail and depends on the kind of paper you're using. So there's, I mean, you're right. It's extremely overwhelming. Um, I have about 10 or 12 um, test copies of the deck of symbols that are on different types of paper with different boxes from the same, all from the same company. I found um, a printer. I use make playing cards it's like a very generic, like you can oh, get, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. You can get any kind of game card, um, most kinds of boxes. Um, I've had good customer service from them and it's been fine. So, uh, I use them still. And once, uh, they allow you to order one deck at a time, so you can order mm-hmm. like a sample. So I got a bunch of different samples and just kept ordering new ones and messing with the sizing, messing with the contrast until it looked like I wanted it to look. And then I ordered a big batch. That's awesome. I'm surprised to hear that you use them because I, you know, I have seen their decks and, um, you know, I've ordered a couple of samples here and there, but I was, I, I don't know why I was kind of hesitant to believe that their quality would be good, but your deck is beautiful. So that's good to hear. You know, the other one that I've heard of is Print Ninja and, uh, you know, they've sent me some samples and, and that are really beautiful, but I'm still just feeling very haunted by the whole thing. It's extremely overwhelming. And if you really get into it, I mean, I don't even know where people get the boxes with the cute little tassels in them, like with the tab where you pull it out with okay. the cards. Like, I don't even know where you get those boxes made. So um, I, I'm assuming some people, and I also, when I was doing the deck of symbols, I really wanted to get a little booklet that would fit in it. And I had an extremely hard time finding printers that would print like a tiny book. 
I so. think Brit Ninja actually does the whole thing at this point, but you know, I haven't gone far enough to know if you know, there's cost differentials, but I, you know, I heard that Print Ninja actually now goes through Kickstarter looking for cool decks to offer to print. Oh, um, Nick Playing Cards does that too, I believe. Oh. Because they uh, will feature your deck on their homepage. If you um, have a Kickstarter or something, they'll feature your Kickstarter on their homepage. And, and did you do a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or anything for your decks? I did. Um, for the deck of symbols, the very first one, I did do a Kickstarter. The Sigil Oracle, I did a pre-order for. So no Kickstarter, just a traditional online pre-order. You know, U.S. Games is who publishes, you know, the Rider Waite Tarot and, Pam, you know, Pamela Coleman-Smith version and, uh, you know, a lot of sort of the, the popular ones that are more mass produced. And um, I don't know if you know this, but the like they're family owned and they're like in Connecticut. And I once asked them, like, how does one get a deck published by you folks? And they're like, oh, you can just send us proposals. So like you can even do that with them. Yeah, that's... um. Big on my list of uh, goals in 2021 is to hopefully find a publisher <laughs> because uh, as much as I, I love, there's something really special about being an indie deck publisher because there's yeah. a lot of personalization that goes into it. I love wrapping the decks and sending them out. Um, but at the same time, in order for this to be a sustainable career for me, I have to um, find a way to produce my work more efficiently in terms of monetary <laughs> costs. So of course, that's, of course. You know, that's the next step to go into. And it's, you know, as best you can finding um, companies that are ethical and like you said, family owned and. Yeah. Yeah. They were really, it surprised me. Like I expected them to be some big corporate, you know, manufacturing giant and like, they're just a, like a family owned business in Connecticut. So it's like, Oh, okay. Like that's really nice. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that, that, you know, you need to figure out how to kind of scale up and make this sustainable for you. Because, you know, one thing that we do talk about in this podcast, and we've talked about it with, you know, Erica Feldman of House Witch is the, you know, the reality of being someone who, you know, is self, basically self-employed, right? And sort of working off of, you know, your witch talents and other things and um, trying to educate people about the reality that, you know, those of us that do this, you know, we literally depend on this to you know, feed, clothe, and shelter ourselves. And it's really hard when you're constantly getting sort of that consumer, you know, pushback. I recently shared something in my Instagram stories that was like, you know, a customer just sees the $100 price tag, whereas, you know, the small business sees, um, you know, minus the cost of goods, minus the time, minus the marketing costs, minus the branding and the shipping and the this and the that. And so people think, oh, well, $100 for something that's so expensive. And, you know, we're lucky if we take home you know, 30% of that hundred dollars. Totally. And especially since I've gotten into wholesale selling, which is, you know, it, it's an awesome thing to be able to um, have more of my decks out in the world and across the country. And I love, obviously like you're one of my stockists. So I love having really cool boutique shops all over the country and out of the country that stock my work. It's a huge honor and very exciting, but it definitely does, you know, factor into that sustainable cost part of my job and finding ways to get decks printed more, um, you know, sustainably is a, a big part of me moving forward and scaling up, I think. I, I sort of, you know, started becoming more aware of kind of the, uh, how massive, you know, sort of producing a tarot deck and having that be kind of a consistent part of your, you know, your business and your income when, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Mesquite Tarot, which I really loved. It was a really beautiful deck. 
And, you know, it got very popular and she got to a point where she was like, you know, I can't keep doing this because all I do all the time is pack and ship tarot decks. Uh, yes, correct. Uh, another goal for 2021 is to, uh, maybe look into having someone do some shipping work for me. Uh, I do spend a lot of time packing and shipping tarot decks. It's a big, you know, big part of the thing, the, the like day to day of my job. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a big part of the day to day. I have to say, I do enjoy it. It's not something I hate. Um, I like packaging things. It's kind yeah. of fun. And I was very excited because I got my custom like logo branded tissue paper today that I've never had before. So that felt like a, a big step. But again, as much as I love it, you know, that's part of my goal for this year too, is to get someone to help with shipping because then it frees up more time for us to hopefully keep, you know, creating new things. Right. Instead of, you know, being consumed with like logistics of survival. <laughs> exactly. I think uh, that's another big part of making my career more sustainable is uh, finding people to do the things that take up a lot of time that I um, could be using creating. It's funny, actually, um, not specifically with this sort of stuff, although I could use an assistant with some of my own work. But um, I was thinking like, you know, hire, like hiring people to let, help clean and stuff like that. And several years ago, I remember talking to my therapist and um, at that point I had a, a corporate job in Boston, which was paying much better than my current job, but uh, I'm, I'm self-employed right now. So, um, but my therapist was just like, you know, there's this guilt that you know, oh, I should be doing these things. Why can't I vacuum my own floor? Why can't I like do these things to like, and my therapist was just like, if you have the money to pay someone else to do the thing you don't want to do, it's a good thing. You're you're giving someone a job. You're if they want, to, if someone loves packing boxes, like you know, I mean, obviously you say you like packing boxes, but you know, if you can hire an assistant who really loves spending her days packing boxes, then it's a good thing. You're not being selfish by giving someone a job. Right. Totally. I mean, not not that I like packing boxes more than I like making art. I definitely right. enjoy making art more than packing boxes, but it's not the worst thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love I love the idea of, and I think that was a big struggle for me, especially early in my career as an artist. When I first started doing art, I did a lot of handmade. I was a printmaker in school. I did a lot of handmade stuff. I did a lot of like hand sewn things and just like little um like prints and individual pieces of work and when I started moving into outsourcing my product it changed my life very significantly in terms of being able to um get my work to more people which uh you know there's definitely part of me that's like oh man like it's not as authentic if I'm not doing every single thing by myself but if I were a hand making all these decks and boxes lots of people would not have the decks so <laughs> yeah I'm finding the same thing with like my astrology work I've been doing a lot of reports for Anna um she gets to be the guinea pig for me and she gets to be my uh my test of like no I am putting way too much work in this because like you know no one will pay for the amount of hours I'm actually spending on these things mm -hmm. so like with my astrology work I'm really working like okay well this is I'll do one usually for Anna <laughs> that I spend a long time on and I kind of like hand build all these elements, but then try to figure out like, okay, how can I automate these things? How can I put all these things like in a database 
smush them all together into a report and then just do some like personal details on top of that to make it personal personal without spending you know like 20 hours writing a report that you know no one's going to spend no one's going to pay me a thousand dollars to write their astrology report so <laughs> gotta say my witch and artist brain just kind of withers and dies when I hear the word automation I'm just like oh god like that feels <laughs> so far like what my brain does you know what that's perfect because now we can talk about the next thing I wanted to talk about which is the automatic sigil engine that just got programmed a couple months ago I honestly totally forgot you brought that up earlier so that was not an intentional segue but I know I was like it's like perfect um so yeah so a couple months ago some programmers created a sigil engine and it's very easy to find. It's just sigilengine.com. Um, and I think it was my partner who sent me the link originally. He's like, hey, look, check this out. And I was like, huh. And, you know, I honestly have not kind of made up my mind how I feel about it. But, you know, Becca, right before we started recording, was kind of looking into it and seeing that the process is, you know, it is a an algorithm, you know, program that's building the sigil, but it's sort of it's not completely automatic. It's responding to the user as well. Um, Becca, what are some of the things you saw on there? So I was just reading through the Q&A page for it. And when when you put a, um, so I'll backtrack. Um, it works by you type in a phrase and um, like um, Aaron was saying earlier with you know taking out vowels, taking out double consonants it does that it shows you it doing that and then it shows the, like the letters on points on the page the first one gets circled and then the line gets drawn through the other letters so my thought was that they were using a very basic um magic square kamea um and i might be pronouncing that wrong um you know technique where there's a square it has numbers the numbers respond to letters and you just kind of circle the first letter and then you draw through the other ones. And if you have a short word, it's a very simple symbol. If you have the long word or you know a sentence or so for what your intention is, then it's a complicated one. Um, and that sort of sigil creation is, um, it's actually how a lot of the astrology symbols that we have for like the planets and stuff, they can actually be traced back to that sort of sigil making. Um, like, you know, why does the Jupiter symbol look like, well, it's actually like based on a Jupiter magical square, um, but not written in English. So, um, I didn't know that. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's, and, 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 you know, it's been squished and rewritten so many times that it's changed throughout the years as you look through like older grimoires. So, um, it looks like that, but then looking at their Q and A, um, page, it does say that, um, that they use um, they use a technology that actually looks at how fast you type and looks at other ways of the inputting the information so that um, two people writing the same thing won't get the same sigil out of it. And I mean, obviously I can't look at the code to tell you what's going on. It's, you know, it's not user accessible, but um, you know, so there is some sort of you know, like randomization going on there. I think from my perspective, I think it's interesting 
before I would trust it with my own work, I would actually want to look at the code and see what the that randomization process was. I have done some code like this. I actually, oh gosh, 20 years ago, maybe, um, as a JavaScript experiment, I wrote a code that um, picks runes um, and also does um, a Greek alphabet oracle where actually you, it throws the astragali, which are sheep bones, uh, the sheep wrist bones, and depending on what side they come up, they have a number, then you have to add all the numbers up and that number corresponds to a letter. And then the letter gives you your alphabet oracle. Um, and I actually wrote the code so that it actually picks these five uh, numbers for each one of the bones and then adds them up. So it doesn't just pick the number directly. Um, and I think if it does, give interesting results. And I think that just like so many of us have, you know, tarot card readers or, you know, other sort of things on our phones that we can, I think a lot of it has to do with intention of if you focus on it enough, then the random number generator in the computer is equivalent to shuffling. Um, I think that if you don't have intention, then it is as random as, you know, just like someone not paying attention to the tarot cards and picking some random cards. You can find something that makes sense there, but I don't think it has the same sort of oracular divinatory purpose as if you actually had intention. Um, for this specific sigil engine, I would wanna know a lot more about it before I actually use these sigils in my own working. Just like I don't use my phone tarot card app for serious work. See, I'm glad that you brought up the phone tarot app because I, you know, people use those to practice readings and whatnot. And I find it really, really hard to connect with it. But I also, I don't do e-readers. I like paper books. So for me, it does feel like a bit of a barrier. Um, but I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, but I've, you know, I've had Aaron make sigils for me. And so I'm still using sigils that were generated not by me. And you know, does it matter that one was created directly by another human for me, whereas the other one is, you know, generated by an engine, but then the engine was created by a human, and then I really didn't know what to conclude, but I'm just kind of very interested in all of yeah. it, you know? So, I mean, I have to say, so for someone who, for the last 20 years, has been working as a computer programmer, I have more the, the barrier is much more fluid for me between technology and other forms of uh, creation. So mm -hmm. I think that that, you know, that's it's much more permeable for me. But I am definitely interested in Aaron and your take on this. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind just listening to you talk about being a computer programmer, I wonder if you think there might be uh, something to say for the intention of the code like the person making the code, writing the code, if there was intention in writing the code to, I don't know, to um, have the sigil that means to find the person, find the person, then maybe. Yeah, I think that, I think that that does come into it. Um, I think, um, you know, code that is written that's, you know, even like, we'll talk about tarot card apps because there's so many of them. Someone who's writing them just because, oh, these are popular, I'll make one of these. Will that app be as accurate as someone who's really into tarot and who wants to make their own tarot card app and puts that thought into it? That's a very, I mean, I don't know. I haven't, 
I don't know enough about the people that make these these things to know, but I think that that's definitely part of it, like the intention of the coder. Um, and I think there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, parallels actually between computer code and magic. Like even in computers, like code that is very hard to explain, it's referred to as deep magic. It's referred to as dark magic. Compu you know, like you know, there's a lot of magic terminology that goes on with with computer code that people are just like, oh no, like that's people will sit in an office and be like, I don't know how to fix this bug. I'm gonna get out the insets. Like it's. <laughs> I mean, I think in terms of tarot apps, I'm I'm with Anna where it I don't feel a, a lot of connection when I pull cards on a digital app. Um, I do like them for practicing. I think they're valuable in that sense, um, and just you know for a little guidance on the go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, see, I, I always carry I always carry my little tin with my deck in my bag, so I always have it on the go. But it has to be like a paper copy. But like the really interesting thing, though, that I realized that, you know, one of my big barriers with creating a deck was, you know, what do I do once I've created, you know, physical art and the process of digitizing? Like, honestly, like that to me was just like that stopped the process. I'm like, I don't know. But now I I have been doing digital illustration and that has changed everything. So illustration has been the one place where the conversion to digital has been OK for me. Everything else I'm like, <laughs> I really think that in my own personal conversion from, cause I actually did start drawing the hollow Valley deck of symbols um, on paper and then uh, ultimately switched and did the entire thing digitally. I think kind of seeing my iPad as a portal to the expansiveness of my own artistic possibility has been a really like game changer for me just because you know, witchery has changed a lot, obviously, in the, you know, endless amount of time it's been around and has changed with the times and the technology of the times. So I think there's something thing to be said for integrating our modern technology into our witchery and finding some sort of comfort in believing that, you know, just because I make a sigil digitally, maybe, or that my art is made digitally doesn't take away from the inherent value in it. Right, so there's a lot of sort of that naturalist focus in witchcraft, which is both good and bad. And Becca, I think we've talked about this here before, but I had this moment um, you know, in, in my life, I, I also studied with Lori Cabot and I was you know, sitting in a room with her and she said, you know, we need to stop having this kind of obsession of thinking that everything has to be, you know, handwritten with a you know, a pen dipped in ink that you carved from a tree because, you know, the witches of old were doing that because that was the technology that they had. They right. weren't shunning technology. Yep. And so, you know, we need to be realistic about, you know, this is the time that we live in now and we can and should use technology to make our lives easier and better and to help us be, you know, the advocates for this planet that we need to be, of course, with the caveat of, you know, also being mindful of our, you know, carbon footprint and the ways that we're impacting. So it's definitely... You know, it's definitely an interesting time now watching witchcraft and digital stuff kind of, you know, meld and... Yeah, I think that um, it's interesting. Like, I do so much of my work on my computer. Like, you know, I am I do my design on the computer. I do project management on the computer. I write on the computer. Um, I've decided this year I'm trying to do a bullet journal. 
Um, I completely blew off last week. So I've got one week done this year and one week failed and I have not started this week's yet. So we'll see how that goes. But I got a paper journal because like, I just couldn't, it's like, oh, one more digital thing. Like I, I, I needed something real to hold in my hand. And so, and when, um, when I write, when I journal, I can't journal on my computer. Like if I'm just like writing about my day, I can't do that on my computer, even though that's what I use for all my other writing. That's what I use for my fiction writing. Other, there's just some things that I can't get out through the computer and I need to do it on paper. So I think it's just really interesting, like, and some people would be the opposite. Um, yeah. And so I think it's like, you know, what works for you and what medium, it's not like, you know, I'm not completely digital. I have to, like, sometimes like, no, I really have to have something holding my hand sometimes, like, otherwise it won't get out of my brain. Yeah, see, part of my New Year's ritual is every year now for over a decade, I, you know, in December, I buy myself a new, like, moleskin planner. And I, I don't know why opening that, like, brand new planner is just very exciting for some reason. But I, I, uh, I'm a Gemini moon, and I think that it, it, it lends itself to my obsession with planners and how much comfort they bring me. I don't know if you've heard of the company Golden Coil, but they're like fully customizable planners and I am Ooh. obsessed. I'm going to have to check that out. So your gen- what's, your sun, what's your sun sign? What was that? What's your sun sign? I'm a Leo. Oh. And a Scorpio rising. You know what? I see it. I like it. <laughs> my Capricorn moon would love it if I was better at this planner thing, but my Pisces sun just keeps not looking at it. <laughs> Your Pisces sun is like, I just want to hang out and relax. <laughs> you know, maybe your Pisces sun would like it if you did some doodles or put some cute stickers on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you see, I've, I've actually decided that it's going to be a minimalist just black pen, because I know the minute that I decide I need to have a cute bullet journal, then I will not plan a damn thing in that thing. I will spend all of my time making it cute and have it have zero functionality. So I have decided that I know I am not making this thing cute. It's going to just be my terrible handwriting in black ink on white paper. All business. (laughs) No, I'm thinking that maybe Erin needs to start designing some really cute sigil planners. I definitely uh, toyed with the idea of planners, calendars, some sort of something like that. I don't know. Mm, Yeah, we'll keep an eye out. I will keep an eye out. I I have a tarot deck to to illustrate, but uh, yeah, 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 whatever. You can do that real quick, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) knock it out. Bam, bam, bam. You know, so getting back to tarot decks, um, you know, we were talking about this whole sigil thing and how much does the intent behind it matter and, you know, the programmer and the intent of the programmer. And so, you know, I, you know, having a shop and always looking for cute indie decks, I am, you know, browsing around a lot. And I, so I have a personal bias that, um, you know, I actually haven't discussed with anyone yet. So I'm curious to see what you two think about it. But when I'm reading about a tarot deck, whenever I see the the artist talking about how like they don't read tarot and they're approaching it purely as an artistic exercise or that they don't believe in kind of the mysticism behind it, I kind of shut down and I'm like, I can't connect with a deck where the person designing it doesn't understand tarot. And that for me is a big barrier. And I guess I'm curious how other people feel about it because maybe you're like, oh, well, if the art's beautiful, I don't care that the person making it didn't. Have that investment. 
It's interesting because I actually created my deck of symbols first because I felt like I didn't know enough about tarot yet to really give it the justice it deserved. Um, I'm still not writing the guidebook to my tarot deck. I'm actually my um, lovely collaborator, Davis Carr uh, of Meridian Tarot. She is writing the book for me and she's just an incredible astrologer and tarot reader as well. And, you know, I'm definitely incorporating a lot of my we're, we're working together very closely on it, but um, it was a big point of entry for me. I had a hard time even doing my deck for my thesis. And I think that's part of why I hold it so close to my heart is because looking back on it now, there's definitely an intuitive understanding of tarot that I had when I made it. But my understanding now is so much better that I feel like I can just do the lore and the mysticism of a tarot deck more justice. I can't say I've ever bought a tarot deck where I've seen something like that in the description to really know if I feel a difference one way or the other. Yeah. So. I think that um, sometimes you, they do say like, you know, where they're coming from about whether they've been reading a long time or if this is just like, you know, an artistic statement from them that like, oh, there's just 78 things that I can draw. Yeah. Um I find as um, as a tarot reader that um, the artistic decks don't read well. Like they just, I, it's not like, it doesn't matter how beautiful the art is if they don't understand the symbolism that they're drawing, there's something just lacking in the symbolism and they just don't, they just don't read well. So I think that sometimes it just, it doesn't even like, it doesn't matter if I know that someone has no idea what they were doing. It comes across when you try to use the deck, that's like, oh, this was, you know, this was an artistic statement. The one difference of that is someone is doing a very close, like line by line remake of mm -hmm. uh, Pamela Coleman Smith. Right. Then like, oh, oh, you did the gummy bear tarot. That is exactly like the Rider Waite Smith, except it's in gummy bears or it's I in pixel art. It's like, well, that's, that's whatever. Like, like, I think that, I mean, I definitely, I find that it's the symbolism that really mm -hmm. makes a tarot deck connective. And that's why I'm so interested in symbolism. I think it's just this beautiful connector of all things, a language we all speak and don't really like think about we, how we speak it, but we just kind of know it intuitively. And we also all have our own special dialects and uh, things that we relate symbols to that are personal correspondences. So I just think it's a really beautiful, like, yeah. connective experience and lacking that symbolism in a deck kind of takes it away from the archetype and like the original meanings of the cards themselves. Yeah. So. I think an interesting kind of opposite is um, the Aquarian deck, which I know Anna, mm. you carry in your store. Um, mm. I, I read with that deck all the time. And the artist who created that deck, he, you know, he was just like, I did not know what I was doing at this time. I was, I had just gotten into tarot. I didn't know what I was doing. It was kind of like a whim that that deck came out as good as it did. And the deck that he did a few years later, once he was better at tarot, the Paladini deck, I don't like that much at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think he changed his art style is the, really the issue I have with that. Um, but you know, so there are, there are exceptions, but I think that he really did have this intuitive understanding and he did go on to become, you know, much more invested in tarot from there. Right. But if you look at the Aquarian tarot, it is a retelling of the Rider Waite that, you know, in a very different art style, it's not line by line, 
but he was still taking the scenes of Rider Waite and redrawing them through a slightly different lens. And that's very different than a proposition um, like what something like Aaron is doing where the illustrations are all fresh and brand new. It's not a redrawing of the Rider mm -hmm. Waite, right? And you can also look at, um, you know, Casey Zabala's deck or um, uh, Charlie Clare's deck that just came out, The Fifth Spirit. Like those are decks where people are, you know, creating a whole new language and a whole new, uh, a whole new deck, right? It's it's not something that's kind of a reinterpretation. And the the Aquarian, even though it's not the line by line, it still is very very heavy rider weight. Right. But and you you brought up the Fifth Spirit, um, and I've actually just recently borrowed that from you, and I recorded yesterday. Um, a review of that for my YouTube channel, which will be up by the time this podcast comes out. I really love that deck. And I love how the, a lot of the, the illustrations are completely different from the traditional Rider Waite Smith. And yet they convey the same information in a modern way. And that's, that becomes, if they're very easy to read, like, you know, like, oh, like that, that's what this is, you know, um, that's what's going on here. Um, like the, the like the two of wands is a candle and a match, an unlit match that they have. You know, it hasn't the you know the thing hasn't started yet. They have to be together to make themselves work. And you can get all of that just by looking at the image without reading the book, which is very sparse. Um, but you know the the illustrations they bring so much to it. And I actually I haven't seen your sigil deck really at all. I I looked at your website briefly before. Um, coming on I've, I've seen your your previous deck um and i've seen it um at on a store but i don't haven't seen your sigil deck at all um so i'm actually interested in like you know how you approach that that's obviously not tarot um mm -hmm. but your your tarot deck is that more sigil based is how or is it so the tarot deck is going to be very rooted in symbolism um mm -hmm. it's kind of going back to um it's not I, as far as I know now, there won't be symbols incorporated. If they are, they'll be in the guidebook. But um, I, Davis and I are working, really starting from the ground up of like archetypal symbolism and then our own uh, symbol correspondences and like what the meaning of the cards bring up for us. Um, so they will definitely be, they will definitely incorporate symbols that are um, pretty common amongst tarot decks that kind of fit with the Pamela Coleman Smith Rider Waite um, like symbolic arc I suppose but um, there will be some changes as well and some unique kind of modernizations of them the cards um, but I, I would like to think that the symbolism and the research that goes into that part of it will really help um, convey the message behind the cards despite them being a little bit different than the traditional like scenes that you would see. I'm very excited to get my hands on your new deck. <laughs> I'm excited. And I will review it on my YouTube channel. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, so we've just about, I guess, reached our hour, which I'm really sad about because Aaron, I feel like I could keep talking to you for hours. This has Aww. been really fun. Um, but before we wrap up, can you tell us where people can find you? What's your website? What's your Instagram? Yes, um, I can be found at the Hollow Valley on Instagram, and my website is erinalise.com, and that is E R I N A L I S E. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I uh, do on social media. I have a TikTok, but I hardly ever post. So if you want to follow me on there, it's the Hollow Valley as well. Uh, and yeah, that's just about it. 
Yeah, see, that's where I go, like, all right, I'm getting too old. I don't know how to TikTok. TikTok confuses me. And I honestly, like, people send me links and I'll look at the links, but I cannot imagine ever actually, like, making a TikTok post. Well, it's all about sea shanties this week, so. (laughs) It's all about sea shanties on TikTok this week? Yes. Oh, that's yeah, that's the new thing. I, I have clearly not uh, caught up on my TikTok feed, so I guess I... Of course, this, this episode isn't going to come out for a couple of weeks, so by the time this episode is <laughs> going to come out, people are going to be like, see, Shanties, that's last month. That was so three weeks ago, see, Shanties. Yeah. Becca, you're so bad at trends, jeez. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Erin, and honestly, I hope that we get to talk to you again after your deck comes out, because I'm super excited about it. Um, Thank you so much to our listeners. If you have questions for us, as usual, you can email us at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to talk to you guys.